Welcome back to another episode here of Survival Worldwide on Reality Pop. I am here with the person who was my favorite player and my number one pick for Survivor South Africa Immunity Island. It's none other than Francois Chappies Chapman. Francois, how are you today? And I see you've got lucky the buff. Chris. You're ready to go. Lucky, lucky. I just want to tell all the viewers, welcome to Reality Pop. <laughs> Reality We're going to bring the big guns out today. We're just going to have some fun. And yeah, it's such a privilege to be on your show, Chris. Um, I've been watching each and every episode since our season started. And I'm really excited to answer some of the amazing questions you might have. Yeah, 100%. And I'm so excited to have you here. You know, it's been great um, looking and watching it. You play the game week in and week out. And I'm a very passionate person. You would have picked that up by listening to some of my recaps. And I can pick up that you're a very passionate person. And you're very passionate about this game. Where does that come from? Were you a fan of the show before you went out there to play the game? Or what made you decide to play Survivor? So, yeah, I think the passion just comes from having a passion for life and for people, right? And also passion for growth. So being addicted to growth, I'm like, you know, you saw the game of Survivor, and that's one of the best ways to put yourself outside your comfort zone. We you're probably going to experience a lot of growth, uh, experience new things, uncomfortable situations. So uh, after I then saw that the quality of the, the essay production was really up there, I thought, listen, now I've got no more reason to stand back. The quality production is up there. The gameplay is up there. I see this as a challenge. I've got all the tools in the toolbox. Let's, let's give it a go. And Bob's your uncle. Uh, after two applications, found myself on them island. And man, was it freaking insane. <laughs> and you had a, a secret weapon that not a lot of people were aware of coming into this season. You do know one of the best players in the game to ever play this game in Rob Bentele. And I saw that he put something on his Instagram after the season uh, where you guys met up straight after you came back from playing the game. Can you tell us a little bit more about you know your relationship with Rob and the advice that he gave to you before you went out there to go and play the game? Yes, I actually met Rob accidentally, believe it or not. You know, um, uh, we went to go climb a mountain with a group called Uprising. I take a few people up a mountain. It's a really great experience. Go check them out. And, you know, to my amazement, I found Nicole and Rob on the mountain that time. And that was just after I've entered for season seven and didn't make the application. And just we started chatting. And I thought, here's the opportunity now to learn from the best. You know, and in life, I also try and go and learn from the best. If I want to achieve something, you know, uh, dial up the best guy in the industry, ask them to teach you. And um, I, I got some great advice from Rob, especially the mindset, you know, regarding visualize, visualization, if you want something to happen. A few seats fell on fertile ground. And yo, the day before I left for island, I phoned him, I told him, Rob, I'm leaving to the island. I need some crypt notes now. You know, and he's like, we had a video call for an hour. He was like, what did you make it? And what, what, what? And he gave me some, some really interesting things, you know, like look who sleeps next to who. Um, you know, you'll be, you'll, you can quickly see who's aligned if you look who sleeps next to who. Um, before tribal council, just try and, try and stay calm because most of the people kind of just want to jump all over the place. And if you, if you kind of a, a calm, place where they can just feel comfortable around they must probably going to come to you and get, hand you some information so he got he gave me a lot of usable tips and didn't necessarily use everything but just having the mindset and going into the game really i think you know counted in my in my advantage so yeah it was perfect timing to have met drop how difficult was it, you know, to go and play this game under very special circumstances where you guys had to be sort of quarantined for, I believe, like 14 days before you went out there to go play the game um, and getting out there on the island after having such an extended period of sitting there in a hotel room and thinking and hypothesizing about what potentially could come your way? Did you find that going in there in those first couple of days, um, it was really hard to contain yourself and not make big moves that potentially could get you voted out early in the game? And what was your mindset going into the early? stages of the game yeah so regarding the 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 14 day quarantine period you know we didn't know we we're going to be in, in quarantine for 14 days we thought okay maybe seven days and we're going to start the game but so you don't have an idea how long you're going to be in that hotel room for 
So you like uh, atomic bomb that's starting just to build up more pressure and more pressure in the sense of you cannot wait to get out there. You know, I, I remember looking out outside the hotel window a few nights and I'd see massive thunderstorms and you'd see the lightning like creep over the the horizon and um, you see the rain and you think to yourself, I would do anything now to just be in that rain and not in this damn hotel room. So I think it contributed to our hunger to just go. Mm. In the first three days, sorry, are you still with me, Chris? Yeah. Oh, sorry, here. I thought I lost you there. And in the first three days of the game, you must contain yourself because you really just want to freaking, you want to run and go make things happen like boss, you know, because you've been contained within a, a five by four meter hotel room for 14 days. And mm. um, so you had to contain yourself. And, I, and I, I believe certain people were able to do it. Other people messed up their game due to due to that hunger and due to lack of self-control and unfortunately got voted out very quickly in the game. So even though we were even though you're hungry going into the game like that, you must still know when to pull moves, when to pull the triggers, when to stand back, when to trust the process. And that really comes down to a lot of awareness and self-control, I believe. Yeah. You you lost a couple of people there very early on in the game that it looked like you had some good relationships with Pinty, you had a good relationship with Paul, um, and you lost some of these guys early in the game that sort of took away a little bit some of your social capital within the game. And that's a good example of where you probably couldn't strong arm people to go the way that you wanted to, and you needed to give a little bit to take a little bit at a later stage in the game. How much do you believe that sort of damaged your game later on when you didn't have people like Pinty and Paul around and what was your thinking with that you know initial alliance that you were starting to put together you know were they instrumental to where you wanted to go in the game and how did you pivot when you started losing these guys out there um when you wanted to play with them i don't necessarily think it damaged my game down the line i actually believe it benefited me down the line not having uh um what is the correct word disruptive people on your side you know so that you can also, so that you also now draw the wrong type of attention. So going into the game, I actually just had a plan of getting specific people to, you know, align with specific people at certain times so that they can just get you through to the next round. And you don't have a clear plan set out when you go into the game. So you got to go on numerous dates, multiple dates, you know, with people, get to know them. Like a date, date with Pinty, their fire making, date in the, in, in the ocean with, uh, with Pinty, date around the water well with Santoni. And um, obviously, you must, you must trust some sort of process as well. So I, I went in and trusted in the fact that whoever I should align with would cross my road and it would happen spontaneously. I would not have to force anything at any time. And, and I had that uh, that mindset and, you know, strange enough, it happened. Pinty came on, we aligned, although it was just for an episode or two. Unfortunately, I, you know, I believe the lack of self-control in, in, in her case got her to be voted out very quickly. The same, same thing with Paul, you know. Um, hmm. But Paul and I decided to align, but Paul was like on the fence in the beginning. It was like, Nah, you know, it wasn't, doesn't want to trust anyone. I'm like, Paul, we can, you know, I can be your meat shield. You can be my meat shield. And at the end, if we've got to take out each other, let's then do it. But let's work towards the end. So Paul and my my relationship also just came at exactly the right time. Um, I just want to remember the second part of your question, Chris. Um, so it's more about... More about how do you think it sort of, you know, it, it, it looked like it could have damaged your social capital a little bit within the game. And how did you, you, know, you mentioned it probably didn't because it gave you a little bit more flexibility. Um, how did you pivot from there to sort of work your way in? I guess, you know, you, you landed on a, on a swap tribe with uh, a few people that weren't necessarily very close to you, but you did have Paul and Santoni there. And I guess one of those people that, 
became a little bit of a saving grace to you in the game um, was Santoni because it seemed like you guys had a really tight bond out there in the game. Uh, can you talk me through a little bit of how that sort of happened, that bond between yourself and Santoni? Um, and, you know, she came to you with advice in regards to where idols were hidden. Um, she was quite open about sharing information and things like that with you. Um, how, how did you sort of start that relationship out there, um, I guess, in the beginning of the game? Uh, and, and how did you build that relationship to be so strong that she wanted to work with you and give you that type of information? Okay, I just want to make something clear regarding the social capital. And, you mm. know, it does make maybe look like it, it counted against me uh, being aligned with people in the beginning and then being voted out. But what if that was kind of serving as a buffer for me to move forward to the next round as well? And here's the thing. Social capital doesn't mean you have to be uh, on the ends with everyone. You only have to be on the ends with one or two people for the time that it matters, you know? Mm. So if, if you go drive your vehicle now and you've got a little bumper and you and you you hit a tree, then luckily now you've, you've had the bumper to absorb all of the impact and you can still drive your vehicle. And that's kind of what I saw as well. Without it knowing, there were specific, there were certain bumpers on my vehicle. I didn't plan it that way. It just fortunately worked out that way. And, you know, one bumper was pinty, the other bumper was poor. And then when it came to the more strategic side of things, you needed one or two people that were really on the ends with most of the people. And that's where I really feel I was, I, I was gifted with both Saint-Denis and Anesu. And mm. to answer your second question about Saint-Denis, people don't realize how strong an effect outside relationships, outer world relationships have within the game. You don't realize how strong that is, you know. That's in combination with the type of vibes that you experience from people, you know. So you can very easily feel, if you meet someone, you can in the first 20 seconds tell, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about this person that doesn't make me feel comfortable, you know. Hmm. So with Santuni, it was like she's open and she's like, you know, in your face and what you see is what you get. And then we realized we're from the same hometown. We realized we went through some emotional trauma that's similar. And she was the weakest player physically. Hmm. I was the strongest player physically. So we were kind of targets on 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 opposite sides of the spectrum. You know, mm. let's eliminate the weakest one because she's going to let us lose uh, challenges. Let's, um, at the specific time, eliminate the strongest guy because he's going to be uh, a threat. And then as you go along and you prove that kind of a relationship that's now formed, it just becomes stronger and stronger and you have less reason to want to vote out that person. And so, yeah, our, our relationship was ba really based on our out, outer world connections as well as the vibe that I felt with something because she immediately felt like a sister to me. Like, you know, a sister that has also got a crazy side that I relate to because, you know, and, and we, <laughs> yeah, we also just had fun. We would, you know, gossip and we would make jokes and she would love to come and bring the story to me and I would eat it up like pudding. You know, that is something she can color in a story just with her eyes. Now imagine her entire face and her body and going crazy with this red hair. That is something. <laughs> so you cannot, you cannot love, uh, you cannot but love something if you get to play the game survival with it, you know, um, but yeah, the, the foundations were laid right at the start, the first five to 10 minutes of the game. And, and how important is it to have someone like that out there on the island that is high energy, brings the laughs, keeps it positive when you're playing a game as stressful as Survivor? Because, I mean, you're constantly in game mode. I'm assuming that you gravitate towards someone that can just sometimes help you, like you said, think about things outside of the world and just really have a good time. And, and how devastating, you know, luckily you played the game with her for quite a long time, but when you did lose that person out there that you had these laughs with and things like that, how devastating was it for you when you knew, you know, you were truly out there on your own and you didn't have someone like that out there, um, someone like Anesu, who we'll definitely talk about as well, uh, who was my preseason winner pick as well for the season. Um, you know, what is it, how important is these kind of relationships and like you said, that positive energy that someone brings out on the island for you to be able to compete and stay sane while you're out there? Of utmost importance. I almost want to say 
just as I feel, and this is my opinion, just as the so socially awkward people who create a strange vibe around can get out vote get voted out first. That is that's something I've just observed from all the survivor games. If you're socially unaware and you're kind of awkward and you create a weird vibe around camp, you're probably going to go first. Completely the opposite is also true if you create a fun and a, a, a enjoyable vibe around camp. People want you there. They don't see, even though you might be, you might have um, physical threat written all over you, social threat written all over you. If you create a luck, comfortable vibe at camp and people enjoy your presence, chances are very good that you're going to last quite long in the game, right? So it played a massive role just having some fun around camp as well. Because here's the thing, sometimes seconds feels like hours and hours feels like days. So if you can spend an hour laughing and focusing just on the jokes that's been told on or this person that's making fire and or going to this person that's swimming naked and showing some butt cheeks, you've already, half of the day is already gone. And before you see it, sunset and the next day is at your front door. So it plays a massive role. And... When when Santini and I, or when Santini was voted out, you know that was also a massive blow to to yeah. It, it, I experienced so many emotions with Anesu first of all, and then now to lose Santini as well was just like the cherry on top. And that's where I realized um, the birds, the people I had the most fun with, and who kicked me in the game to a certain degree, is now completely out of the game. So now it's like. Mission Impossible, man alone, you know, like the sheep among the wolves, you're now going to have to do something. It's going to take a miracle to take you through the next round. So when I lost, lost Santini, I kind of felt a bit, um, well, what's the correct word? I, I felt as if I, I had a lack of knowledge now or a lack of information because she was one of my best informants. You know, she was my, my my best informant, and then Anessa as well. So it was a major shock in numerous different ways. But we're South African. You learn how to adapt. Uh, you know, when South Africa or when life just throws you a, a curveball, and we had to I had to adapt in that moment. Just accept the fact that things are going to turn out the way it should. Yeah, I mean, Anesu's the other person there that you had a great relationship with that you formed early in the game. You guys got split up for a bit. You found your way back together, and then in the merge, you try to work together and make some things happen. But sadly, it didn't pull off in such a way. But you created such a great bond with her to the point where she actually passed you that tribal council pass which uh, before she left, which definitely was a little bit of a game changer for you to be able to get that at that stage in the game. Um you know, when we look at you and Anesu as two people that sort of gravitated towards each other, um, especially me as a South African that know that in South Africa, sometimes there's, um, we don't always realize it, but we're more alike than what we are different. And people sometimes are so divided in a country such as South Africa, sadly. You know, you wouldn't expect that you and Anesu would have been the first two people to align out there in the island. What pulled you guys together and how did the strong alliance form in the game? Because it's a pretty strong alliance when someone's willing to give you something as strong as a tribal council pass as they're voted out of the game once again i believe it is due to an outer world connection but this is not the type of connection that the viewers now think it is you know because this is more on a spiritual level and i, I feel mm. as if i was exposed to the name of an before i entered the game because while in in the in the hotel room for the 14 days you become quiet, you pray, you meditate, you visualize, you know. And at some stage, I just asked for guidance and I got the letters A-N, you know, in my heart. And I was like, what does A-N mean? You know, little did I know the day we're going to arrive on the beach, Anesu is going to be in my tribe. And what are the chances that her name starts with A-N? I told this to Pinty, which served as a bridge between myself and Anesu. Anesu heard that and heard this and immediately showed she felt a connection which came from outside of the game right and then i believe that was the foundation of of our relationship then moving forward and then she then right on at day one shared with me that she's a doctor and, and i felt the vibes as well 
the same type of comfortable mm. or vibes I, I experienced from Santini, I also felt comfortable and genuine vibes coming from Anesu. And this girl was grounded, you know. She was really listening to you intently when you speak. She's got such mm. a calm voice and she will explain it very articulate, you know. So that all resonated with me and I was like, whoa. And looking back, this is something interesting I realized only later on. Looking back, Santini and Anesu were the only two people that was in my tribe from the start and the only two people uh, within that tribe who had an A-N in their name, if I'm not mistaken. Santini's well, also got a You should have worked maybe Anella as well as another person <laughs> that is the person at the end that if you had some sort of a, a bond there, maybe it would have carried you to the end. It's probably the, the yeah. only AN you missed um in the game. But you know, yeah. it's interesting you, you you mentioned that because um Anessa also came on here and sort of you know said the same thing about the spirituality and that you guys sort of you know got together on that bond and that sort of just grew within the game. Um and I'm also wondering if Anesu and Santuni were two of the few people out there that saw your heart very early on, uh, where a lot of people probably, I feel like, misunderstood who you were as a person uh, when you were out there. And that's the way it came across from watching a TV show. I don't know what it felt like yeah. being out there. Um, but what is it that you think made people so reluctant and resistant to you in the game early on? Because you were constantly being thrown out there as the big bad wolf, the person that everybody needed to get out of the game. And us as viewers, we saw a very different chappies out there compared to yeah. what the people were seeing there where was the disconnect first impressions uh, play such a big role chris and sometimes my the first impression i make on people is got the right intention but got the wrong words you know and due to me not necessarily ha ha having english as my first as my home language and and sometimes also just not thinking before i say it's something I still got to work on. It's a flaw. And I believe some of the first impressions I had with some of the castaways, they just took personal and they immediately brand you uh, for that first impression, you know. Um, so to, to give the example of, of, of Kieran, I only went out, I think, on day two to kind of speak to him. And I told him, listen, Kieran, sorry, I... I didn't come out to you earlier, but you fit the profile of people that stabbed me in the back in the past, you know, uh, which was actually now looking back, you, you can't say something like that to someone because immediately this guy is going to brand you as, well, Kieran is, will, will probably brand me as someone who judges me because of my uh, appearance, you know, and that wasn't actually why I, I didn't reach out to him. The reason I didn't reach out to him because I didn't feel the vibes as I did from, from Santini or as I did with Santini and Anesa from Kieran. I didn't experience the same vibes from the start. But now your mind tries to make sense and formulate words to tell this person why you didn't reach out to him. Why, why is it necessary to tell this person why you didn't want to reach out to him? It's not necessary. Just have a good time with, with, with this person, you know that's just another thing while, while I've got on that thought um, if you have good times with people on the island it also creates a foundation for a possible uh, alliance to form and creates a, a possibility for you to stay in the game longer and what I mean by that is with an issue you know we didn't spend a lot of time together but when we spent time together it was being the seven-year-old self and having fun going to eat 30 oysters before we take back to the uh, for 30 oysters ourselves before we take back to camp knowing this little secret that we've now eaten 30 oysters and just making a joke about it you know and with Santini as well she uh, herself coming to spill some beans that has now you know that, that that's reached her ears so if you have fun with people around camp with you know and it's not necessarily just about gameplay the whole time you are already formulating or or, or getting some social capital that you might gain from down the line and uh, that's why where i also believe a lot of castaways didn't necessarily have as much fun as they could have you know mm -hmm. and the, the, the season is supposed to be testament thereof yeah 100 percent. and i mean you 
were interesting enough for me were one of those people out there when you were doing competitions and you were part of the team competition and even some of the individual parts of it, but mainly in the competition, you were you had that mindset of never leaving anybody behind. And it's very much an army uh, type of mindset where it's leave no man behind. You know, you went back to go and help Santini. You went out there to save Santini and Anella when they were, you know, struggling and potentially could have drowned. You know, where does that mindset come from that you have in regards to helping people as they're struggling out there on the island? Because it's something that to me was really admirable to watch and see in a game show where it is every man and woman for themselves. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Chris. So, yeah, I think it's 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 so much deeper than what the eye perceives or the eye can see, and and you know what the mind can understand. Uh, and and give it, put it in a simple way. If if you put yourself in people's shoes around you, you must probably going to start doing things that you won't necessarily do. You know, so. Seeing Santini struggle there, I was like, what if I was Santini struggling in this water? I'm already in maybe not, you know, now insecure about my ability to do physical stuff. You know, um, it's going to be embarrassing if I now come out last, if, if I were in her shoes, right? And then if you take that into account and you ask yourself, but what can I do about that, about that situation to make it better for her? And... It's as simple as just making a decision and taking action. And it's not going to cost anything of you, right? And my mission going into the game was really to make an impact. And if, if for argument's sake, I only had the opportunity to make an impact once in a person's life, and it was Santonese, by proving to her and showing to her that you are loved, uh, I believe in you, even though you aren't necessarily as strong as all other players, I'm going to help you now. Yeah? And I'm not going to care what anyone thinks about it. My intention is not to, uh, to create an image of myself out there. My intention is to help you and to make you feel better about your current situation. If all that act did was to make her feel loved within that moment, that would have been impact in itself. And I could have been voted out next and I would have been happy because it would have been one person, but one person is enough. You know, one heart, just touching one heart or making them think differently about themselves is already enough because that's going to create a ripple effect on their surrounding people. It's going to create a ripple effect onto eternity. Um, so I hope that answers your, your question. It just comes down to does. having, having a, a love for, for, for people and putting myself in their shoes on a more regular basis because – to be quite honest, I don't think we do it enough as human beings. No, 100%. And, you know, another part of this was when you were under fire and people were coming at you, and we'll talk about what put you under fire at a later stage, you know, obviously stealing the food and doing some of the naughty chappies things that you did out there. But, you know, when people were coming at you very hardcore in the game and they were swearing at you and there was all this animosity going on there, another thing that stood out for me was your ability to remain calm within that, um, take it on the chin you know, politely tell someone you don't like to be disrespected in that way. But you never, from what we saw, at least on the TV show, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, you never really um, sort of went to that level within the game. What is it that made you stay calm in those situations and not lose control of your own emotions, which is very easy to do in a game where you're playing for a million rand, where people are backstabbing each other, you're low on food and all of those kind of things that are happening out there. Um, what is it that makes chappies in those situations, calm and not sort of lose control to that level? If, if your intention going into the game is so much bigger than the game itself, the game is just a bonus. And then I believe if you also allow yourself to be aware to, to, to and aware and remind yourself the entire time that it's a game, you're here for a much bigger purpose than the game. The game serves as a tool to the bigger purpose. Then you kind of also, you won't necessarily get as emotionally involved, I believe, that, than if you would, if the game was like your make or break in life. If the game was the top of the mountain and there's nothing beyond that, right? And 
having that level of level of awareness chris also really contributed a lot to me being able to see that some people are now zombies of the game some people have now forgotten that they aren't they weren't actually born within this game they came from the outside world into a little game they're going to play it for a while and they're going to exit it so you know um to, let's give give you an example if if, if you now remember when let's say you have two kids and they're seven years five years old and they they are fighting over sweets there's more than enough sweets for all of them for both of them but they're fighting over sweets as if they they are really 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 uh, they are really they are ready to kill one another for sweets but there's more than enough for everyone you know you as a parent observing this you can't now you can't now go and give them the hiding of well you, you can most probably do it but what the, the fact the thing that i want to make clear is there's a level of awareness difference there's a difference in level of awareness to them sweets are everything at that moment and their life is dependent on it because they do not know of better you know they have they in their world only consists out of their room and the playground and the sweets at the moment you as a parent has gone through life know that there's more than enough sweets now for for both of these kids they don't have to kill each other and it's your responsibility to bring a sense of calm over them and explain this to them and i believe you can only realize that if you've got a different level of awareness that you gain through seeking it and gain through experience so um yeah if you go down to their level of awareness and you start fighting with them like they are fighting with a sweet someone is going to be killed and it's most probably going to be your, your 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 two kids you know and it's a very sensitive topic now with the things that happen in new zealand but it is just that level of awareness can really be um it can be the difference between life and death because if you react on certain emotions mm. and you you do something that you're going to regret down the line you know you you will yeah it's just i saw when it when it happened within the tribe or within the um tribal council i realized that these people are unaware of what they are currently what, what they are currently fighting about you know and they might regret it down the line it created for beautiful tv but um you know looking back are they proud in the of the way that they reacted within those moments so your level of awareness going into the mm -hmm. game really plays a massive role in how you're going to react uh, emotionally that, that makes a lot of sense actually um one of the other things that for me was quite interesting is you let us in as an audience at one point that you were stealing food for a very long time you were taking a little bit of rice every time a bit of bananas here and there um, and it sounded like this was something that you did for a very long time so when did that start um, and why did you change your strategy to let people know that you were stealing? Because you kind of let them in by leaving the pot out there with the rice. And I had my own theory about that. But I'm very interested to know when it started and why you made it so obvious towards the end that you were stealing food. Uh, it started from day one. You know, there was more than enough bananas for everyone. It was it was not not all of them were ripe, but you know, you could still eat some of the green bananas and get some carbohydrates in. So we had this massive bunch of bananas from day one you know that's more than enough for everyone and i can't necessarily remember any rules that some people has made about you can only take x amount of bananas per day or whatever someone would come in the morning and they would break off bananas and come and hand it through that to the rest of the tribe and i was like all right but you know i maybe need one or more two to one or two more so I might just go a bit later and collect one extra banana and um you know you're not gonna eat everything at once you just take what what you can and what you need in that moment and you leave the rest for the other people and i'm not the only one who took a banana or two you know um but it started right from day one and then uh, collecting grabbing stealing the rice only occurred later on where things started to get real um with merch you know and once you enter merch you got to turn up the notch everything you do you gotta 
be more aware of the opportunities. Create them if, it, if they don't arise. You um, got to make sure you've got the smallest advantage in challenges. Yeah, you got to make sure that you are that you've got as much info as possible. So go and build your shack if you need to to just get get that little bit of extra info. And and um, yeah, so going into merge, it then started to turn up a bit, and that's where I had to take a cup of rice. Um, you may maybe once a day take a cup of rice, go and enjoy it. And so it was so funny, Chris. If you go look closely, you'll see that I actually started preparing my rice right in front of everyone. So I would I would take the the kettle that you put on the fire. And there's strategy behind it. Before everyone goes to sleep, you ask them, listen, would any one of you love some tea? Because I'm going to make myself some tea. And if they say yes, you make them some tea. And then afterwards, you cook rice within the teapot. If they say no, you're like, okay, no problem. Sleep well, guys. I'm going to make myself some tea. And then you cook the rice on the fire that's like one meter from them, you know. <laughs> so, and then I would I would cook it here and stir the pots. Um, everyone's now going off to sleep and they think Chappies is enjoying a lack of cup of tea. Meanwhile, I go to the beach and I go enjoy freshly cooked rice. And um, I'm just sitting there in so much appreciation. I cannot believe that, that no one's coming out to come and get me. And that happened for five or six days before Chappie's Diner was open, you know, so it escalated. Yeah, and, and when they got to the point where they saw your pot out there, it wasn't even clean, there was rice in there, everything still from the night before, was that on purpose or did they sort of stumble across it and you were just getting a little bit too relaxed in regards to hiding the evidence? Chris, I won't go out and go and leave the pot where everyone can see it. So here is the question I want to I want to ask you is how did they know of the pots? How did someone know of the pots? And the only way, if it was properly hidden, and what do you think the answer might be on that question? How mm. did how did they discover the pot if it was hidden? And that and the only way they could actually discover it was if I invited a guest to Chapel's Diner to enjoy some rice and mussels and crabs and maybe some sweets. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to leave that out there for you and for the viewers. Um, there's one person who, who visited Chappie's Diner and we spoke some nice strategy and we ate some lacquer crabs and, and rice. Um, but I'm going to leave it for the viewers to try and determine who that was. If you go look at the episode, it should be clear. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back. I like a, a good old Da Vinci code to unlock. So I'll go back yeah. and, and have a little bit of a look at that in the episode. But uh, it is quite interesting because I did have my theory that you were potentially playing mind games here with the people and getting in their heads when it's coming out to doing competition. Because if you go and play a competition and you can get into their psyche before you go out there, half of the battle is won because people aren't focused now on the challenge. They're focused on the on the player instead of the game. You know, So that was my theory watching the game. And I don't know if I was really quite accurate or not. And thank you for the compliment because that says that you think I had strategy to that level, which I didn't. So. <laughs> and it, it's good to be clear because, to be honest, I was wrong 80% of the time this season when it yeah. came to my predictions and what I said. But, you know, it was a fun hypothesis that I had out there in regards to what that gameplay was. So I wanted to get it clear and even just for myself to know what kind of level of gameplay went in there. But, you know, you were someone you that was a challenge beast out there. You did extremely well. You won seven individual challenges. Um, which is a record in Survivor South Africa, five immunity, individual immunity wins, which again equaled the record similar to your good friend Rob Bentele, Um, and also, um, I forgot her name now, the earlier season, season two, you probably would have heard her name a few times now, so bad. Ashley, isn't it? Isn't it Ashley? Ashley Hayward, yes, yes, so she... Yeah, so three of you guys have done, all three of you have done five individual immunities. She also won back-to-back, -back, by the way, in her, her season, which is very impressive um, on those five individual immunities. So what is it that, you know, made you so good at these challenges going into it? And what preparation have you done in life prior to coming out there and playing the game that sort of helped you 
and adapting to all of these different challenges because it was really widespread. I found it really funny, you know, if you go to the dark corners of the internet where people were saying Chappies was just getting the same challenges thrown at him. And I'm like, there's no way you're doing physical stuff, you're doing puzzles, you're doing swimming. Exactly. There was a right. lot to it. So what is it that sort of, you know, pulled into your, you know, your skill set out there that you could go out and dominate challenges such as this on the show? In general, I just love to take on any type of physical challenge, first of all, mental challenge, secondly. So I believe my addiction to growth leads to me also doing weird stuff and, and experiencing weird stuff in life that your average human being won't necessarily do, right? That in combination with checking some previous Survivor seasons, I wasn't a major super fan before I entered the game. I maybe had 10 seasons on my, on my belt. Um, but visualizing yourself doing the puzzles while you're watching Survivor is also a very good way to actually have done the puzzles and the challenges because the mind doesn't necessarily know the difference between reality and, um, you know, non-reality. So when I watch, when I watch Survivors and there's a memory game that comes up, I try and play the game, the memory game, as if I'm there, you know, uh, when uh, a physical challenge comes up, I try and visualize what I would have done, how I would have felt swimming through that challenge, um, what, is the, what is the strategy you should follow when building the puzzle, that specific puzzle. So I try and build these puzzles in my head while watching the game. It's not just um, in, for entertainment value, it's, it's educational value for me as well when I look at the games. So play the games while, you, while you're checking uh, the challenge, right? And when, yo, when I'm in the opportunity and it, I had to do the challenges, I think all of those factors contribute, contributed to me gaining some momentum as well as a positive mindset and speaking, speaking that into a reality. First of all, believing that you've got enough tools to do it, uh, that you've got the ability to win these challenges. All of that contributed to, to me building building up some momentum and just going, going, going. You know, um, the few crabs as well must probably help me to jump two centimeters higher to get that key. Uh, it's a lot of contributing factors. But if I had to say, if you if you've got to take one of those things and focus on it, it's to believe in yourself and you've got ability if you've done some homework. You know. You can go, go write tests and see it as an adventure, see it as another challenge. And just uh, beyond that challenge lies a better version of yourself and you can take on the next challenge and the next challenge and the next challenge. So it was, yeah, it was just an amazing experience to, to go through those challenges and experience the, the wins one after another. But as we all know, it had to come to a stop at some time. We'll definitely get into that. Now, another thing around the challenges, you had a very signature move where you would put um, you know, charcoal on your face, getting the wall paint ready when you went out there to do it. What yeah. inspired you to do that? Chris, you mess with people's brains. You mess with their minds. The moment you show them, I'm going to be serious about this. It's as if I'm going to war, you know? That is the – that is my – the, the eagerness and the hunger I've got to win for this is being radiated. And it might create a, a kind of a, a form of insecurity with the rest of the tribe members. It might create a form of fear within the rest of the tribe members and have them doubt in themselves. So just me putting up some, some, some wall paint, it, there must be a psychological effect as well in that. In I believe there's a lot of research that's been done on that, you know, um, where people already find you intimidating and they've already lost the, the challenge up here before they've actually done it. And then chances that you are going to physically lose it are going to be a bit higher. Other way around as well. If you've already won the challenge up here and you go ahead and head on and you give it everything full throttle, chances are quite good you're probably going to take it. 
whoops, try to unmute myself and remove myself from the screen there for a second. But, you know, um, back to the questions. Uh, I fully appreciate where you're coming from. I think that us as rugby fans, for years and years, we had that rivalry between the All Blacks and the Springboks. Yeah. They just kept getting one on us every single time. I felt like whenever we walked up on the field against them, they had 10 points on us just because they had that confidence and we, for the longest period of time, didn't believe, you know. And that's sort of changed over the last couple of years. And now the games are a lot closer. You know, obviously, we sadly just lost another game to Day, but sorry on that point i actually heard some of the stats today i think the, the spring box only won about 16 out of 64 if i'm not mistaken of the total mm. games played against new zealand you know they aren't necessarily more physical than us they no. aren't necessarily they don't necessarily have more strategy there's one thing that just puts puts them on what they do differently than us you know it's up here, and the Haka is proof. It's physical proof that that what they are thinking becomes a reality, you mm. know. And and I'm I'm of the opinion that the Haka might play a role, you know. And if 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 the if the if the box can, um, I don't say the box should also get a Haka. If they can learn how to process that and disarm what the Haka means to the um to the all blacks you might see a different type of gameplay you know yeah because once again the archa is nothing less than war, war, paint. war paint. Yeah, yeah so for those that listen to this podcast um you know the haka is a war cry because about 70 percent of the people that listen to the podcast is from america believe it or not we've got a massive american following on this podcast so it's a war cry that they do and like a war dance before they go and play against the Springboks. so again it it amps them up, them up and it gets them ready for the game that they're going to go play out there um also wanted to get into the diplomatic community sadly you know that was a twist when myself and riley we had a pre-season podcast where we spoke about what would we like to see come up in this new season of survivor we obviously had had no clue uh, at that point i've never spoken to little but i've had a few conversations with him since then but i've never ever spoken to him before that and it was one of the things that i brought up as an idea i really wanted to see uh, mutiny come back into the game because we've only seen mutiny once within survivor and it was all the way back in cook islands which i think is like someone's gonna at me for this and not knowing the exact season but it's like season 13 or something around that era in survivor and we're now in season 41 in the u.s to give you an idea so it's that long ago and i really Really wanted to see something like that being thrown back and they brought it back in diplomatic immunity um you know you obviously never had the opportunity to use it uh pre going to the the merge but did you have a plan to use that little trinket that you had or the ring that you had as the diplomatic immunity and to try and fool people or bluff them into thinking that you had an advantage that could be used after the merge, was that ever in your thinking or or not so much as someone that hasn't watched that many, I guess, seasons and people people bluffing with these types of advantages? Yeah, I definitely right when I got it with Jason, I, I you know, I wanted I thought of a few options. Am I going to use this and tell them I've not good, now got an idol, immunity idol, you know, and it can save me? Or am I gonna be up uh, up and up and clear with about the idea with some of my closest alliance members? And I'm I've gone for option two because I kept in mind that Jason also had the, the bracelet and he, if, if he went to go and told people what the real deal was about the bracelet, I would have had a massive target on my back, not just from the people who don't like me, but also from my alliance members, because why didn't I tell them the truth? You mm. know, um, so I then opted to go for the second option to tell some of my closest alliance members. And, um, it, it was interesting the ideas that evolved around of that uh, around around that um, we discussed one of these ideas as well uh, yesterday on another podcast um, where where Paul at some stage said because I could send myself or someone else right I don't think the viewers knew that I could send myself from or, or someone else from my tribe to the opposite tribe if we lost immunity and Paul at some stage the amazing wild card character that he is said listen chappies okay. I've got the best plan. If we lose immunity, send me to the opposing tribe. I will then go burn down their camp. I will throw their rice in the fire. I will, <laughs> I will cause complete havoc. And here's the thing. All that you guys must do, here's the foolproof plan. All that you must do is obviously now I'm going to be on that side. So I'm, I'm going to let us also lose the challenges. 
if we then lose the immunity challenges, you guys just keep me safe by sending me to Immunity Island. And we just continue, <laughs> continue with that loop until we've eliminated all, eliminated all the Zambas and there's no more Zamba camp left. And obviously at some stage I thought, as crazy as Paul is, that is a brilliant plan, you know, if, if there weren't any type swaps. But imagine this, Chris. You've got someone like Paul on, on your tribe. He's making yeah. sure to lose the immunity challenges. Like, he keeps people back and, you know, he, he freaking tackles people of that, uh, of that tribe. And then he can't be voted out because he's sent to Immunity Island the whole time, you know. And he makes, he makes sure that it's hell on earth for them. It would have been amazing TV. Yes, and I and I never even thought of that possibility of breaking the game in yeah, such a way. And um, and I think this is evidence of you know when fans out there say that the producers get involved and they help certain people or they do certain things. This is a great example of if they really wanted to create some drama, it would have been excellent TV to see something like this play out, and that they could have pushed the narrative. Yeah. I mean, the, the the cast members would have begged people would have begged the producers just to get rid of Paul, because Paul would have caused hell on it. I can tell you now, that guy, that guy is, he's a racehorse that is, you know, just got no stop, you know, and, and it's such a cool oak, and we had a brotherly, we still have a brotherly bond, uh, but yeah, that, that would have been TV gold. I would not have wanted to be in that tribe, but it would have been TV gold. So what did you do with the bracelet? Do you still have it? Are you planning on keeping it as a memento? Or, or what have you done with it? Yeah, I've got it as, as some memorabilia um, and um, didn't use it. Got to use it twice almost. So the first time was after the pick-me-up challenge where we had to swim, you know, the amount of times we had to. And by that time, I I already went through two bumpers in my in, in my tribe. And what I mean by that is Paul was voted out and another bumper before they came to me, I, I believe was Carla. Hmm. You know, Mike, Paul and Carla were like three bumpers. And I thought, listen, I'm going to crash crash and burn the next time. If, if we lose another immunity challenge, I might crash and burn. So that night I mentioned to the rest of the tribe members, if we lose tomorrow, I might have to use this diplomatic immunity because I don't feel safe. And Zamba is a hellhole. I don't want to be here anymore. And Santini and Sean, you know, all of them just really pleaded with me not to do it because the tribe was already so weak in, in physical ability. And they they promised me that I'm safe, you know, which I do believe I, I was. But at that stage, you kind of like, you know, you can't see it any other way. Who's going next? Is it Sean and Andela or is it me? You know, are they going to up and get me out and then luckily we had the tribe swap and then in vuna 3.0 uh amy well the, th the three blondes wanted to gun for me and amy before before an immunity challenge told me chappies it's all right you don't have to use your diplomatic immunity you're safe we're not getting for you you're such a cool guy and man we love you and just you know you keep getting pretty safe you can come sing us some more songs around the fire tonight you know and right before the game started, Anesu was like, and I knew, boom, if we lose the immunity challenge, I'm jumping ship. I'm jumping ship and I'm lasting one day, one more day. And, um, yeah, so luckily then we, uh, we won that immunity challenge. And that night, uh, I, can't, I can't remember who went home from the other tribe, but it was so close. It was so close, Chris. Um, and, yeah, luckily... Due to my alliance with Anesu, you know, I would have jumped, but it was just not necessary. Yeah, so I want to ask you um, a question here uh, around the end game when you were in that tribal council where you sent Anella back to camp with the tribal council pass. You know, what was your thinking in regards to sending Anella back at that point? And do you look back at that now as potentially a position where you could have played something a little bit differently to keep Santoni a little bit longer in the game um, as a strong person there with an immunity idol? Or was the threat of her having an immunity idol and you potentially also losing an immunity too much for you at that point? What was your thought process there? And why did you ultimately sort of lean towards saving Anella within that spot in the game? Um. Yeah, a lot of contributing factors. Uh, 
by that time, Anessi was just voted out, you know, and that was one of the biggest, most hurtful blindsides that I've experienced because I didn't see it coming and because we were also close, you know. Um, Santonese, we kind of saw coming and, you know, she also spoke herself into getting voted out. She, she'll also um, admit to it. But by that time, we were so driven just to get the three musketeers broken up in Kiran, Warda and, and Tyson, that we we considered obviously um, saving Santoni. It was something that was on the table. And up to this day, it's something that we still kind of wonder about. What would have happened if Santoni was sent back to camp? She still had the idol to play at the next round. You know, a lot of things could have happened. It's it's interesting to talk around that as well. But we, we decided not to because if we have if we would have done that, um, then the three musketeers would have most probably just taken out Anela or Nicole. I don't think Nicole was safe that time. Or can't, can't, no, she was she was safe. Yeah. No, 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 it was the next round. She was safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nicole was safe the next round. So the three musketeers would have taken out Nicole or Anela, which we, which Santini and I at that stage thought. Nicole and Anela are on our side. So in order for us to, to ensure that we still have Nicole and Anela moving forward and we eliminate one of the three musketeers and we execute on a beautiful revenge kind of story because at that time, I thought that Warda was actually the instigator in getting Anesha out, you know, after um, mm. the, the, um, we amended our relationship uh, Warda and myself, she then took out my closest ally, but they didn't necessarily know that I was close with Anesu, you know, at, at that stage. Um, so it felt as if we just had to get Warda out at all costs to break the three musketeers, to make sure that we've still got um, Anela and Nicole, show them that we want to work with them because we're gunning for most of their members, right, most of the time, that we want to work with them. And it just ended the way it did. And at that time, Chris, as well, it made logical sense. We took all the options into account. And you go with what makes logical sense within that moment. From a viewer's perspective, it might not look like it was logical sense. But I believe if you put myself and Santony and the entire cast back into that environment with that mindset at that time, we were probably going to make the same type of decisions. So at that time, it was the best decision with the information that we had. Yeah. So to give you a little bit of history in regards to my own Survivor fandom before I ask you this next question, I started watching Survivor when I was, I believe, 10 years old, right? And my first player that I fell in love with and was my favorite player was Colby Donaldson, all the way back in Australia and Outback, um, way, way back in season two of Survivor. And um, he was someone who set the record for most immunity wins, which is five immunity wins, which you've now equaled. Back in season two, early 2002, it's a record that's never been broken since then. And I still look back fondly as that kid who fell in love with Survivor, who loved this player that was playing the game. And that was the first time in life that my heart was broken and not having my favorite player win it and sort of lose the game at the end. That He was the runner-up that season. Now, sure. for future fans of the show that are watching this, right, and they've now fallen in love with Chappies. There's a 10-year-old, 12-year-old kid out there that fell in love with Chappies, the challenge beast of Survivor South Africa immunity. Island, what is your message to future Survivor players, kids that watch the show, adults that want to go play it? What, what is your message in regards to people that want to go out there? And what's your advice for these people to go out there? Because I do firmly believe, and I'm not just hyping you up, I believe that you're a very unique character within Survivor and people will now look at Chappies as the challenge beast, the person that people will say, I want to be like Chappies in the future. You'll be that character within the Survivor fandom now, especially within Survivor South Africa. What words of advice do you have for kids and future young Survivor players that want to go out there and play this game? Yo, uh, I, could go, I could go on hours and hours about that topic because out of all the fans, the fans that... 
I love spending the most time with are the 10-year-olds and the seven-year-olds and the 14-year-olds that that like, oh my goodness, you know, when they see you, you can see, you can literally see the excitement within them when they see you because of an idea that they now have about you. Hmm. What they don't realize in that moment is that you are just as they are a, a normal human being. A normal human being who had some opportunities uh, and has taken the opportunities and had a great outcome. Who took some risks and had a great outcome. And they tend to put us on a pedestal. So on all the future survivor players and all all the 10-year-olds out there, I want to say that thank you so much for seeing me as the hero that you guys do. But there's a same, the same hero is within you. And... The way you discover that hero, it, it is a process. It is so simple that we make it difficult. By really just loving yourself, and by that I mean accepting what tools you've been given on this earth. So first of all, love that and know that you've got all the tools to make the difference. You know, if you've if just if you just got five fingers, you still have all the tools to make the difference. Believe it. If you've only got one leg, you still got the tools to make the difference that you have to make. And then secondly, once you learn to do that, you kind of love the people around you in the same way and think, what would I have wanted if I wasn't that person's shoes? And the moment you start doing that, you 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 start to discover a hero with the hero within you starts to surface without you even knowing it you know so that's the one thing i want to want to want to tell the 10 year olds out there and then the second thing is there's always more there's always more than what the, meets the eye and as long as you believe you know that there is more and that you can grow more and that you can experience more it's going to happen for you. But you've got to believe it before you're going to experience that magical sight. And yeah, if, if, if that is all that they can take moving forward in life, they're going to be, they're going to be crazy survivors in life. They're going, to be, they're going to flourish in life. You know, They're not necessarily going to survive. And if they perhaps get the opportunity to play survivor one day, they're going to beat my records. And I'm going to smile and I'm going to high five them. I'm going to tell them, there's the hero that you saw in me. There it is. And now you are my damn hero. So, and that's what, that's what I want, want, want the kids to know out there, you know. Um, it's, it's a mouthful, it's, but I believe the It's powerful. It's, yeah. it's very, very powerful stuff. And, and I think that I could talk to you for hours about your philosophy and outlook on life. I found it so fa fascinating. I'm so happy that you had the experience that you had when you went out there. Um, it wasn't straightforward. There were times where you were the outcast and you were the person that had to fight from the bottom to get to the top. But once again, um, very much my favorite player, just not not for all of the flashy stuff, but for how you carried yourself within the game. Um, I could talk for I could see how you did a three, four hour podcast uh, on some other podcasts. I could talk to you for a very long time as well, but I'm not going to do that to you. Um, my last question for you is, you know, if, you know, the producers came around again and said, chappies, we're collecting the best of the best to come back and play this game. Would you consider going out there knowing how much effort it took to play the game this time around? Would you go back out there and play the game again? These babies are fueled and they're ready for action. Let's go. <laughs> yep. So I guess that is the answer. Um, and who, who, you know, who would you be uh, sort of absolutely shocked if you didn't see them there um, in the season as well from this season? If you had to choose one person that didn't make the merge and one person that sort of made the merge, who would you be shocked just uh, if they weren't out there on the island with you? Definitely, if Santini, if I would have been shocked if I didn't see her on the island there with me. Um, yo, there's so many of the merch that it's I want to name. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, just let's just go for an entire round two season. Let's just go for an entire round two, you know. But uh, pre-merge, I would say... Yeah, we'll do an entire round two and we'll just throw Rob Bentelli in there and maybe like a, a Vanner and a Tony. A couple of people, you know, there's a couple of people we can throw in there. Let's just go for a mega season and put 40 players out there. You see, we... we absolutely. You know, that, that you just chain one, one person, it's already going to be a completely different game. But someone pre-merge... Um, 
uh, that I believe had a lot of uh, potential in the, in, the, in the individual challenges and would have also been TV gold is Paul. You know, I believe that wildcard Paul, he still wants to go burn down a few camps and it might just happen down the line. You never know. So, um, yeah, Paul is, we haven't, we haven't seen that much of Paul, but I've seen a lot of him by just spending some, a lot, yeah, a lot of him by spending some time with him. And, oh, that guy's such an entertaining wild card eh, that does not know how to put the brakes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My exit interview with him, he was out in the bush. He, he told me he was back on the island already and he had like palm plants <laughs> behind him. Um, chappies, it was great to talk to you. I really appreciate your time. Um, we will make this happen again sometime in the future and I'll hopefully get the opportunity to have you on for a recap when we talk about another season of survivor if you're not playing in it then it's so much easier to do what i do and sit here on the sidelines and criticize and judge by looking at an edit so i'd be more than happy to have you back um sometime in the future to do that with me ah oh, chris thank you so much i just want to take this moment to thank you and, and riley as well for what you guys mean to the survivor community i mean sometimes you know you guys sit behind the lonesome mic all by yourself in an empty room and you speak to strangers all over the world because of your passion of this game, you know, and we can, it's really tangible. We can see it. And then thank you so much for vouching for me right from the start, bro. Um, you know, I almost, yeah, I, I always got the feeling from you that, um, you know, you are in my corner and I really just appreciate every kind word that you said along the way. And even though I didn't necessarily thank you for that, it, it hits where it matters. So thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. I'm all about good energy, so I'm glad that I put that out there for you. I did get a lot wrong, but I was glad that I got it right about you in the game and that you did go out there and uh, prove a lot of people that maybe didn't see it from the start wrong in regards to, you know, you became the people's champion at the end, and I think there's no better way to go out than being the people's champion. I appreciate you so much, Chappies. Thank you very much. Stay on there for one second as I finish this off. Um, for you anybody... Too that are listening to this. It's been a great season of Survivor South Africa, Immunity Island. We've got one more special interview coming up. Uh, in about a week's time, we will be back to talk to Leroux Buerta and we'll do a retrospective Whoa. of Survivors of Africa, Immunity Island, yeah. right here on the podcast. And we will be talking to him directly about the season. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe, hit the like button. Um, thank you so much for listening to it this season, guys. It's been great. Goodbye. <laughs>